0: From the highest to highest
1: Welcome to LaPeer Community Church. It's nice to see everybody. Um, just a friendly, warm, loving reminder: asking you guys just to wear your masks if you're not in your seats. Um, and during worship, after the message, if you just can't help but sing, just to, we just ask that you put your mask on. Um, just to honor leadership, and I can't imagine being a leader right now trying to navigate all this. So I'm just choosing to honor our leadership in and doing that. So thank you so much for your respect and coming together as a family and in unity and doing what we have to do to honor God and live a life that just pleases him and to know him more. So um, right now we're going to do the children's message. All right.
2: Hey, how are you this morning? I like your mask. Good, some girls. I was starting to think it was all boys today. One girl. Okay, come on up and have a seat, you guys. Okay. <clears throat> have you guys been following along? Has your family been doing the reading plan? If you are, that's okay, and if not, that's okay too. So today we're going to talk about a prophet named Elisha, and it's a pretty cool story, actually. It's one that kind of makes me think about a lot of power. So Elisha, just a second, hold that thought, okay. A prophet is a person who speaks God's word. And at this time in history, prophets were the ones that God used to give his words to Israel. So there hadn't been any words from God. Lots of stuff had been going on. Then there's this prophet named Elisha, who God says, all right, it's time. They've had a famine going on for three years. Do you know what a famine is? Nothing is growing. No rain has happened in three years. Nothing is growing. Now, right now, if nothing grew here, we could still go to the grocery store, right, and get some food. But back then, if nothing is growing, your livestock's not eating, your grains aren't growing, you don't have any food. So everybody is hungry, everybody is thirsty, it is not a good time. So, the king, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel, Jezebel was a very, very wicked woman, and she had killed all the prophets except for 100. And this man had taken, Obadiah had taken 100 prophets. He hid five in, or 50 in one cave and 50 in another. And then that's it. They've just been hiding. And he's been keeping them alive for years. So A, or Elisha goes out and he starts to tell the king. He wants to get all, you know, he's going to go meet King Ahab. And he said, it's going to start raining today. But you know what? You know why it hasn't been? Because God has, is mad because you haven't been following him. You have killed all the prophets. You guys are following Baal. This is why God isn't happy. So, Elisha says, you get 450 prophets of Baal and me. We'll all go out on this big hill. We're going to make some altars. I'm going to make an altar. Your 450 prophets are going to make an altar. They got to pick the cattle they wanted to use. They put the cow, they put the, the wood on the altar. And Elisha says, whoever's God, we're going to call on our gods. And whoever's God answers with fire, that's the one that we're going to serve. That's the Lord. So the 450 prophets of Baal, Elisha's like, you guys go first. So he starts, the 450 prophets spend hours chanting and cutting themselves and doing all sorts of stuff to wake up their God and to get him to answer with fire. Nothing happens. Finally, it's Elisha's turn. Elisha's like, all right, bring some water. They get water. They dump it all over the, the the altar. They build a trench around, the like a big ditch around the altar. They dump so much water on this that the water is flowing off. I don't know where they got the water, if there's been a famine, but there is water enough for that. So they dump all this water. It fills the trench. You guys know what a trench is? It's like a ditch all the way around. There's so much water. If you pour water on firewood and then try to make a campfire, what's going to happen? Nothing is going to happen. So Elisha starts praying after they've dumped all this water on, and he says, "'O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command.'" Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then guess what happened? You know? Then fire, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. So not only did, was there fire, it like wiped everything out. Now, if you saw that, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Baal, or are you going to follow God? I know, destroy the statue of Baal and start following God. I think that would be an extremely wise plan. Do you know what I think when I read this story? I think about how big and how powerful God is, and I think a lot of times we want to make God little, and we want him to do all the things we want him to do But God is too big to be contained. We cannot manage or control God. He is way bigger than we are and way more powerful than we can ever imagine. Now, we're going to get a snack and we're going to go to children's ministry. We're going to talk about a little more of this story, okay? You guys were super good today.
3: morning. We are going to do something different this morning. We um, we can go that way. There you go. When we said at the beginning we were going to explore different ways of worship and this is um, this is an ancient practice kind of been lost for a while and being rediscovered as I don't know as Christians start to explore different ways to experience God we're reaching back in the past and how did they reach how did they experience God differently and most of us want to hear from God. I mean, is there anybody here that's like, oh, I don't want to hear anything from God? Anybody? Okay, so, so one of the ways, um, I want not say the ancients, is probably a little bit too far back, but um, your medieval times, they would go through, they developed spiritual practices where they could hear from God and help the common people hear from God, and they would be listening to Scripture in a way that they can hear God through the Scriptures. So it's called Lectio Divina. And um, this passage was, the first time I've experienced it was used this passage, and it lines up really well with what I'm going to teach this morning as well. But what you want to do is you want to just, um, I'm going to read this passage of scripture four times, and you don't have to memorize these, I'm just going to give you an overview of what you're going to do, and then I will tell you what you're going to do each time I read this passage of scripture. And the first time, you're just going to relax, you're going to close your eyes, and you're just going to... I'm gonna pray and ask God to open our ears to be able to hear his voice and I'll read the passage of scripture. The second time I'll read it, you're going to just pay attention and ask God to show you anything he wants to show you. And any verse or any words or a phrase that jumps out at you that captures your attention, it's possible that God wants you. He's speaking to you through the scriptures to say, this is what I want you to pay attention to. And then we'll read it a third time. And the third time you will take that that phrase or that word, meditate on it and pray it back to God. God, what do you want to show me about this? Is, is, and, and, and just your communication back and forth. So before is listening, now it's actually responding. And then the last one is contemplating the things that God is showing you in this passage. So you just contemplate and you thank God for what he's showing to you and thanking him that he speaks to you through his word. And so the passage that I'm going to read is from Isaiah chapter 30. 15 through 18, just a real uh, light background on it. It is a prophecy to Israel because they had chosen to make peace with the king of Egypt for their protection rather than going to the Lord their God to actually achieve um, their protection. And he's saying, you wouldn't, you wouldn't come to me. Now this is, going, this is what's going to happen. But it's interesting, these words. It was quite dynamic to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to have some instrumental music playing in the background, so if you guys can go ahead and start. I'm going to ask you just to, you know, relax and lean back, your feet flat on the floor, your hands in a comfortable position. Take a deep breath. Take another deep breath in. us aware of your presence, open up and give us, open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, so that we might see spiritual realities in your word, and open up our ears that we may hear you. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, No, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, We will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of Lot at five, you will all flee away, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord, your God is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. I'm going to read it a second time. And this time you want to ask God to show you something he wants you to see from the scripture. Sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, No, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, We will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. 1,000 will flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five, you will all flee away. You are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Again, And any passage that jumped out at you or the Holy Spirit may bring into your attention one word or one phrase, maybe a couple of phrases, whatever you feel like God is moving you to focus on, speak it back to him and pray about that phrase and ask him to open up your mind and your heart for spiritual understanding of the passage and what God is trying to say to you. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you will all flee away, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. The Lord is a God of justice, blessed are all those who wait for him. last time I read is a time of contemplation, where you experience God right there and you just thank him for revealing himself to you. Thank you for what he showed you, and you can ask him to continue teaching you through this, this word throughout the day and the week. But just rest in his presence that he is here to speak with us. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says: In repentance and in rest is your salvation; in quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, "No, we will flee on horses." Therefore, you will flee. You said, "We will ride off on swift horses," and therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the thread of five, you will all flee away, you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all. on our hearts and on our minds. Give us the ability to walk faithfully with you, to trust you at all times, to learn to listen, that you are a God who wants to communicate with those whom you love. We thank you for communicating Thank you for sending your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us as the morning continues. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That is Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 through 18. There's a passage I have read through the whole Bible beginning to end, and yet that passage never jumped out at me before until I had experienced it this way, and it was, like, really powerful. And it lines up really well with what I want to talk about this morning. As we um, continue, Mindy started sharing about uh, Elijah, and Elijah has a battle of the gods experience, right? He has is, he is already told... He is a prophet in the northern tribes, the ten tribes of Israel that has abandoned the worship of God, set up their own temples of worship, and separated from the southern kingdom of Judah. And so these ten tribes are not being faithful, and there are these prophets that arise in the northern kingdom to continue to warn Israel, but they don't pay attention. And Arise is a very, 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 very evil king with a very, very, very evil wife, Ahab and Jezebel. And... um, they worship the god Baal. We normally hear it as Baal, if in your American, you know, the way we would say it is Baal, but it's really Baal. And um, Baal is the storm god. He's the one who controls the weather and the storms and the rain and the wind. And so um, this, this prophet, they, they had prophets of Baal, they have priests of Baal and everything else. And, and what's going on is Elijah tells the king it's not going to rain for three years because God had told Elijah to tell him that, so it's not going to rain for three years. And after three years, after God's taken care of Elijah the whole time, he goes and he's going to present himself to Ahab and it's going to, God is going to send rain, proving that Baal isn't God, God is God. That Baal isn't in charge of the weather, God is in charge of the weather. And so that he sets this up as a battle of the gods, he says, go ahead and gather your prophets of Baal, on, the, on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is interesting as a mountain just inside. It's from this they, they, they quarried a lot of the rocks for the temple in Judah. So they're on top of this mountain where the rocks actually formed the, the temple that they refuse to actually go and worship at. And they go up on this mountain, and they, and on these hills they establish these high places to sue sacrifices, and there's 450 prophets of Baal, and they're going to spend all day trying to get their God to answer by fire, and Elijah just mocks them the whole time. Maybe he's going to the bathroom, literally is what he says in one of the criticisms. And so he's busy, or he's asleep, or whatever, and eventually they give up, and... He takes his, he rebuilds the altar that had been torn down, an altar to the Lord, and he rebuilds it, and he digs a trench, and he puts the sacrifice on the altar, and he dumps water on it. He has him dump it, dump it, dump it, to just leave no doubt that there's no reason. Like, the weather this morning is not the time to start a fire, right? You're not going to start a fire. Everything's wet, and it's raining on top. He's dumping water on it. And so then he he says the prayer that Mindy said, you know, I've done everything that you've said to do. Send the fire. And down comes fire, burns it up. And then all the people are now, they're saying... Before this, he says, how long are you going to straddle two opinions? The Lord's God, worship him. If if Baal's God, worship him. But don't hedge your bets here. Go all in one way or the other. Like the prophets of Baal. They were all in for Baal. And so when God answers with fire, all the prophets of Baal that have been misleading the people have been destroyed. And um, he goes off to pray. He goes up on a mountaintop. I don't know if it's a different one or whatever, but he goes off somewhere else and he starts praying until there's a cloud in the sky. And then he runs. And even though King Ahab is on a, on a chariot, he outruns. He outruns him to, until the rain comes down. He beats them there. And then, and then when Jezebel hears the report that all her prophets are dead, she threatens to take his life. And he runs again. And he runs off into the desert and then in a, in a brook, and then God ministers to him for two days. This, the journey's too, too hard for you. So he goes to sleep for two days. He wakes up and eats and has a drink and then goes back to sleep for two days. He's resting, and then he goes on a 40-day journey where he's going to go to Mount Horeb, which is right where Mount Sinai is. So that's where God met who? Who? Moses, right, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai. So he's going back there. It doesn't only take 40 days, but it takes him 40 days, and he's in the desert. Who else do we know that's been in the desert 40 days? Jesus, right, before he does his ministry, 40 days. You know, and Moses is on Mount uh, Sinai for 40 days. It's significant. And then when Jesus comes after his 40 days, and he's ministering, right, and he eventually has his 12 apostles, he goes up the top of another hill, and who appears with Jesus Moses and Elijah, three men who spent 40 days in the wilderness. All right, now, so he goes this up this hill and he's, he goes to a cave on, um, in, in uh, on Mount Sinai and the word of God comes to him. Now, this is where you can go ahead and open up your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19. And the verse... Uh, In in chapter 19, verse 11, he says, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. That's the Lord speaking, or the angel spoke to him. and said, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. Now, that's one heck of a wind, wouldn't you say, right? A wind that's tearing rocks to pieces. He says, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, God's presence a lot of times is in those things, right? If you think of the uh, Israelites when they were leaving Egypt out of slavery, right? What led, The Lord led them of a pillar of what by day? Fire or fire by night, by day a pillar of cloud and smoke. And he is in the cloud. And when Moses would go into the tent of meeting to confer with God, that cloud would descend on that tent as the presence of God. And then when they're trapped up against the Red Sea, God said he would go before them right through the Red Sea. And how did, he, how did he present himself? What way? Wind that separates the Red Sea. And they go through the Red Sea on dry ground because God made a wind to clear out all the water, right? Right? And then an earthquake, you don't see that so much with Israel that I know of, but when do you see an earthquake with the presence of God? It would be when Jesus died on the cross, right? And then there's this earthquake. It's not uncommon. It's not necessary. God could present himself in this way, but at this time, he does these things, but God is not present. And then he says this. <clears throat> Look back at verse 12. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, the, NR, the, uh, the New Revised Standard Version translates. It's a difficult phrase to translate. it kind of dif- difficult. The King James says uh, a still, small voice. But the, the, NR, the New Revised Standard, I like the way they translate this, the sound of sheer silence. So let me read it that way. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire... And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he could have said, You told me to come here, right? But he didn't. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint King Hazel, king over Syria, and King Yehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Menlah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. Elijah's spent. He's cooked. He doesn't feel like he can go on any longer. And actually, those first two commands go to Damascus, you anoint king, Hazel, king over Syria, he doesn't do. Elisha does. And Yehu, the king of Nimshi, you shall anoint over the king of Israel, he doesn't do. The one thing he does do is he goes to Elisha and makes him in his place. He does the one of the three things. He sets it up so those three things happen, but he doesn't actually do them. And I don't know why, but he's, he's toast. And he, he, had, he disciples Elisha. Elisha follows him around for the longest time until Elijah is carried up into heaven. We'll find that out later as you read. If you continue to read, do me a favor. If you're behind, just start in this week's reading and continue from here. All right, And don't worry about catching up, just start this week and you can read more about Elijah next week because he's quite amazing. And so, I think it's week 28. This week, you start reading week 28. And if you have a question, if you're online, just go to the lapiercc.org and download the reading plan, start on week 28. But if you like do this, you, you read about Elisha, he's, he's spent all this time, he's spent lots of time in the wilderness already, but after this activity, think about the adrenaline of of facing 450 prophets of Baal, pouring water on the altar. Now, now a lot of times we, we think when faith is that, faith is that you have the faith to move mountains and you conjure up this faith in God that he obeys your faith. That's not the way faith works because when he said this he said i've done all these things i've done all of this at your command not he didn't make this up he was not saying i'm going to prove how awesome god is and just douse water on the sacrifice no it is he did everything that god commanded him to do now send the fire it is out of obedience to what god already said that he's responding to that is a great faith He's not like having faith that God will do the things he's asking God to do. No, he's like God told him to do these things. He obeyed that out of faith. Now, it still doesn't mean it's a little nerve-wracking to be on top of the mountain with 450 prophets of Baal, your enemies, and all these people that are on the fence, and you're the ones going to sit there and say, send the fire and wait for nothing to happen. That would be an anxious moment for anybody. I mean, and he's an amazing person. He's, you read through Elijah's stuff, he's done amazing things, but it's still like I'm I'm like, I don't know how to describe my personality, but I would be the type of person that'd say this would work for everybody but me. I would go up to the top of the hill and say, I know God did a lot of things, but this would be the time where I would get up there and say, Send the fire! Send the fire. You know, I was like waiting. I, that's my fear would be when I put myself out there, it ain't going to happen. But it does, right? And then he goes to the top of the hill. Now, he already told them God is about to send rain. Why does he go up the hill to pray? If he already knows it's going to rain, God already said he's sending rain, and he already told the king he's going to send rain. Why does he go up to pray? Maybe to strengthen his own faith? I don't know. But he's praying fervently, and he has a servant say, look to the clouds and see, look to the sky and see if you see anything. Nope, nothing yet. Go check. Goes and checks again. Nothing yet. Pray, 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 go. There's this little teeny cloud the size of a human hand. That's good enough, and he takes off running. And he runs fast, and then he runs away, and he's wiped out the adrenaline and the physical exhaustion and God puts him down and causes him to go to sleep for two days now <clears throat> one of the things I noticed about ministry is, um, and, and, is sometimes it feels so fruitless you work so hard Because you so want people to believe and come to a solid faith where they actually care about whether they're growing or not. whether they can actually admit, yes, I don't really love God, but I know I'm supposed to. And you give them instruction to pray and seek God because it's worth it and people still don't. And so he does all this stuff, and they're like, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, right? He just did this on the top of the mountain. The Lord, he is God, and he runs, he goes to sleep for two days, and he spends 40 days getting to Mount Sinai, and God says, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm the only one. Well, what about all those people who just said, the Lord, he is God? Do you know anything's going on? Those are just words that he didn't really believe there would be life transformation, that they would really follow the Lord, they would switch back and forth anyway. He'd been ministering to them for years and not seen them be faithful. Why should he expect something different? It's discouraging. And so he's he's burned out. And God is going to take him out, but he wants to make sure that he trains up another prophet to take take his place. And... Here's this prophet that needs to go through 40 days, a lot of sleep, 40 days, and then just sit in a cave, and then all the turmoil needs to be cleared. All of the stuff that can distract you from God has to be done. And I have been doing ministries here for, you know, well, 20 years here, a little bit longer if you go back when I was working at church and seminary. And. I was so trusted in the gifts God gave me, which was really my abilities that I didn't always give God credit for, but I would work, 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 trying to accomplish amazing things for God by my own efforts. And the more energy that I put into it, I might see a lot of activity and things happen, but still at the end of the day, very few people come to the place where God becomes the most important person in their life. And that's the goal. And after 20 plus years doing this, you kind of start wondering, okay, I have no abilities to do this. I I just can't. And then I've realized as I look back, I wasn't like depending on God the whole time I spent... Very little concentrated time in silence or prayer. Matter of when I was in seminary, I remember um, taking this class. It was philosophy of history. Sounds like a real barnstormer class, doesn't it? I just love the professor. So anything he taught, I would have taught. I would have taken Dr. Habermas. He's actually quite famous, um, apologetics person. But, um, and I remember there was this young undergraduate student in the class that talked about, you know, the necessary things to be connected to God. Like, and he said, solitude. And I just rolled my eyes. It's like, there's work to be done, dude. In your solitude. Because I, I just minimized solitude. I just thought, eh, it's not the way God wired me. He wired me for action. I'm a get-it-done type person, not sit in the dark and wait for nothing to happen. And really is my lack of faith that caused me not to do these things. And I, you know, if you've been listening to me the last couple of years, exploring silence and these practices like what we just did, Lectio Divina is new to me, but I, I just came to the to the realization that no matter how hard I work, I cannot turn people inside out, fix them, and then put them all back together. I can't cause anyone to have a deep, intense love for God. I struggle myself. I've had to sit there and admit. I remember several years ago realizing, man, I, I love myself way more than I love God, and I'm not so sure I love God unless he's doing what I want him to, and I'm like, this is wrong. God, help me to love you. You know, I just felt like, God, I need you to give me love that I can give you back. You know, it's kind of like the way you give money to your kids to buy you a Christmas present for Christmas. Right? They're not really buying you a present. You're buying you a present. You're just letting them believe they're buying you a present. Well, that's how I felt like when I'm asking God to help me love him more. I'm like, I need a loan. Because I started to realize that invisible, this invisible world of spiritual things is not a world in which I know very well, nor do I know how to manipulate, nor do I know how to make happen. I was blind to things I could not see, trying to lead blind people who could not see, the blind leading the blind. So if I need to be able to see, I only have one tool at my disposal, and that's like prayer and silence and get to a place where all of the noise and activity and everything else could be cleared So if you wonder why we do less activity, this is one of the big reasons why. If we're constantly busy doing things all the time, we never really contemplate the importance of slowing down, being alone with God, and experiencing him. Because he is supposed to be the reason we're here. Not for camps and and activities and chili cook-offs and all that kind of stuff isn't bad. It's not evil. It's just sometimes it's just so busy that we not really... Stop long enough to say, God, where are you? Are you in the busyness? Are you in the whirlwind? Are you in the activity? And we wouldn't know. I don't know if Elijah hadn't taken two days of solid rest and 40 days to wander through the desert, that he could have gotten there 40 days earlier and he would have seen the wind and the storm and the earthquake and thought God was there. He wouldn't have been able to discern that he wasn't in those things. The way to really understand where God and isn't God is getting to know him, and the only way you're going to get to know him is alone. I mean, we do things together, but there, to spend time alone with him is where you're really going to find your connectivity with him, and it takes a lot of time. And it takes an intentionality to turn down the volume of the world around you. So I, I was like, this, one of the illustrations I might have was uh, Tony Dungy. Uh, Tony Dungy, if you don't know, is a football coach. He was actually born in Jackson, Michigan, and he ended up coaching Tampa Bay and brought them right on the brink of winning the World Series, and they fired him and let John Gruden take the credit for it by coaching him the next year. And then he went to the Colts, Indianapolis Colts, and built that team up and eventually won a uh, Super Bowl, not World Series, sorry. sound like a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I know, that's terrible. Sorry. Anyway... Super Bowl. So he went the Super Bowl, And but one of the things I said is every year when he brings all the players in from the offseason into the locker room, he starts to talk, and he said this. This is what he said he always says. He says, listen to me very carefully because this is the loudest you're ever going to hear me speak. And it meant he wasn't going to yell at everybody. He wasn't going to swear at everybody, but it meant more. It's like if you want to hear me, you better shut up. Sit still and pay attention. And if God isn't going to yell at you, if God isn't going to try and do dramatic things you don't want him to do to get your attention, trust me, you don't want to get in car accidents, you don't want, you don't want strokes, you don't want, some, you don't want him to get your attention through having him do big, loud, screamy things. Right? I'd rather have him get my attention in the sheer silence But you've got to go to a place of sheer silence if you're going to experience them that way. Maybe you need to spend a couple of days. Go off somewhere where you're by yourself. Not in your home. Even if you live in your own home by yourself, it's not the same because your house screams at you, fix me, paint me, clean me. Right? Everybody heard that voice? How do you shut that voice out when you're in your own house? You can't. It does that to me in my sleep. All summer, paint me, paint me, paint me in my sleep because I wanted to finish it before the summer was over. So even in my sleep, God had to break through the voice of my house to get away where there's no labor that you can do and just bring a Bible and spend a couple of days where you have a Bible, a notebook, a journal or something and just be alone, rest, sleep, lots of sleep. That's one of the things I did during sabbatical last year was just take some time where I went somewhere a couple of times and just went to sleep until I could sleep no more. That's not nice, actually. How many guys like have done that? The last time you did it, you were like a teenager. Right? We don't. But just to be able to lay in bed and not have to get out, not because you're not sick, you're just going to rest and you're just going to be with God. And if you do, just get up. You go and you sit in a chair and you're not going to do anything. You're just going to waste time with God. Because it will feel like a waste of time until you get used to it. All the voices will still be screaming in your head. You're not getting this done. You're not getting that done. You're being a horrible mom. You're being a horrible dad. You're being lazy. The voices of your past that says this is stupid. Until you do it enough, all those noises are not going to go away. It's a discipline of solitude and silence where God can speak. But remember the passage I read to you earlier? In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it? You said no. That's what jumped out at me when I went through this Lectio Divina thing. You said no. I've been a Christian for nearly 35 years, and most of them I said no. It's going to take a long time to really be able to hear the voice of God clearly and be experiencing, but you've got to make the commitment to do it. And you might say to your wife, why don't you take a day or two to go away, and then I'll take a day or two to go away. You know, you can do some things together, but there's something about being all alone. There's no other distractions away from your house. Just go to a bed and breakfast, go to a hotel, go to a vacation place that you don't have to fix. Go somewhere and just be alone. and discover what it means to be with God because we, as a culture, are busybodies. We always have a cause to fight for. We always have work to do. We always have accomplishments. We have to achieve. We have to be something. We have to, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to and you'll run out of life chasing things that you will never find, you will never achieve but you were created for a relationship with God. Built in, built into the life of the Jewish person was one day a week where they were not allowed to work. Now, if you think about this, I do, I think about this, I haven't built in a day a week where I don't work. Now, I may not work for the church. Actually, it's hard for me to find a day during the work where I do do something for the church. But to just sit there and say, I am not going to work for a week, if you were a Jewish person, you could do this and stay at home because it was illegal to do any work anyway, and you were used to it because you did it your whole life. So your Sabbath day could be a day of quiet. Now, it didn't have to be. You could, I don't know, play games. You you there was no laws about what you had to do. it was just what you could not do. So you're used to not working, so you're not hearing the dishes, the dishes, the dishes, the dishes. You're not hearing vacuum. You're not hearing fix the roof. You're not... You're not hearing mow the grass. You're, because you can't. You have never do this. Saturday, every year, after year, after year, after year. All your Saturdays. Passover, every year, a whole week where you're forced to not work. And there's all these, these rituals in place to cause you to focus on your, your mind and heart on the Lord your God. And in America, no, we worship work and the fruits of our labor. And it's weird. We have lots of fruit. We have lots of income. We have, we're doing really well, better than any other, any other country in the history of the world. We have more than any other country in the history of the world, and yet every single one of us goes to bed at night wishing we'd accomplish more. None of us leaves work saying, well, I'm going to go home early today because there's nothing left to do. right? And hardly any of you actually clean your house, and at the end of the time you clean your house, so there's nothing left to clean, right? Give it up. Just schedule time where you're going to be alone with God and do it. Because I, you're not going to come here on Sunday mornings and experience life change. Maybe God will get your attention, then you're going to do with what do you do with it if if you really want god to change you you have to spend some time with god some time alone with god it is more valuable than you think and it doesn't seem like it at the front end so i'm going to go back just a little bit about my own experience was i started with 5 minutes of silence to try and not let my mind run off and think about all the things i was going to do once this 5 minutes was over and then once I could master five minutes where I could just rest in the presence of God and I just repeated the name Jesus over and over and over. Or sometimes Jesus, help me. So it's like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Each breath. So that when my mind ran off to think about the phone that's ringing and I should have like put it on airplane mode or who is that that's texting me or what was that loud noise in the kitchen or whatever, I just... Or, or this, the argument I've had with somebody that ticked me off and what I would say to him if I could say it right now is not the best prayer, right? So getting out of your head and just being present with God, I focus on the name Jesus. And, and whenever my mind would run off the things I needed to do or who was waiting for me or the thing that I forgot or the thing I was, the person I was supposed to call or text, I just, oh, wait, no, that's later, Go back to the name Jesus and bring myself back. And then I start with five minutes. Then I went to seven, seven whole minutes. Then eventually ten, and just kept increasing it till I could get it up to an hour. And there's sometimes in that hour I fall asleep. And there's sometimes where I still wind off and I have arguments with fictional people, situations that are never going to happen. But and and sometimes just have better days than others you know some days you're just used to the skill you know like like if you play golf you have good days you have bad days if you run you have good days you have bad days same thing with this you have a skill that's developed of being silent before god and you develop it over time the value is experienced over time because in the beginning i'm like oh that was a waste of five minutes but i'm gonna just keep doing it and, and there's times where I'll, I'll feel like I'm alone with God, and then there's times where I just don't, but I just keep doing it. Because I start to have more and more times with God that is meaningful than ones that aren't. But in the beginning, I had more that weren't meaningful than ones that were. And it did feel like a waste of time because I have to retrain the, the rhythms of my own life to making time for God to speak in the silence. I encourage you to do it. I beseech you to take the time to do it. For what else do you have to know what you're supposed to do with the remainder of your life if you do not get any direction from God? How will you know? You'll just spend your time guessing and wondering if you guessed right. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, We ask you not to just get our attention, but hold our attention. Not that you would just make yourself known to us, but make yourself known through us. That we would experience you in such a way that it would change us from the inside out and it would change the way people perceive you because of us. It is you that said... That they will know we are Christians by our love one for another and we can't make that happen on our own. So all the things that you ask us to do that we read in your words, we know our commands, we can't do. So Lord, I pray that you would move in our heart in such a way that we would spend time alone to give you space to speak to us, to change us, to move us in life according to your will that we might live according to your design in the power of the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. Join us in worship. Thank you.
1: just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment, and I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. you don't know me anything more than anything that you can do I just want you and I'm sorry Just gone through the motions I'm sorry When I just sang another song Take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you
0: And I'm
1: sorry I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough and take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you and I'm caught up in your presence. In the morning when I rise to meet you,
4: this morning, in each of our hearts this morning, Father God, that we would be just renewed in our dedication to see you glorified in our lives, Father God, at our work, at our school, in our family, Father God, in our relationships, Lord. Father, I pray that um, you would just stir within our hearts, Lord God, a desire to pursue you. And I just pray that the things of this life, Lord God, that distract us from you, Father God, would just lose their flavor, would lose their color, just would lose their, their their sweetness, Father God. Lord, I pray that we would exalt you above all else, Father God. And then losing our lives, that we would find it in you. God, bless your saints this morning, Father God. I pray that um, everyone in the congregation, their spirits are renewed, and that they are invigorated, Father God, to live a life of victory, Father God, and not of defeat, and not of despair, and not of Uh, being ashamed or uh, uh, just feeling odd or weird or strange or an outcast, Lord God. Lord, you are our Father. You have called us our children. Whose children would we want to be other than yours, Father God? Lord, we look forward to your coming again and we look forward to being in your presence this week, Father God, and to put into practice all that we've heard this morning and learned. God, just um, uh, Lord, just uh, We pray that you are pleased this morning and that you have enjoyed, Mm -hmm. Lord God, being with your children. Mm -hmm. And Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, we would just um, submit our lives before you uh, in the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
5: So I feel like there's been a lot of great information um, for you to have conversations with your kids today, your grandkids, your neighbor kids. What would it look like for us to sit down with our kids and try to give them silence for a couple of minutes and let their brains calm and teach kids at a younger age that there's supposed to be space and you're not supposed to constantly be thinking and constantly be doing? What would that look like? Um, Going off Mindy's children's message, answers to prayer. Like we talk about, hey, we should pray for this. We don't often cover answers to prayer. We don't tell our kids the opportunities that we've seen God work. We just talk about let's pray that he does. You know, we tend to focus more on that. So keep that in mind as you're riding home with your kids and you're interacting with children throughout the week. Your kids are going to be brought back to you. Over in the corner, we have the offering box and the confidential communication cards. If you have prayer requests or want to update any of your information, that's over there. And then starting tomorrow, we are in week 29 of the reading plan. So jump into Kings with us. Like Rick said, don't feel like you need to catch up. Just start a new week 29. Have a good week.